I have this habit where like I'll start observing myself saying it and then I can't remember the thing I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> like I float out of my body and like listen to myself talking yeah. instead of like just keep talking. <laughs> Hi, Chapter 8. Hi, Chapter 11. You're listening to the Fearless Minipod, a limited mini-series of super short episodes in which we talk about the chapters of the book Fearless, transforming fear into courage within relationships, career, society, and self. In this podcast, we share with each other a specific part of each chapter that Kristen and I have highlighted for any reason and see if the other one of us has selected the same part. Chapter 13 is called You Can Do Hard Effing Things and was written by Christy Coos. Christy Coos left home at 15 to begin her adult life. Married at 17 and a mom of two by the age of 21, she felt like she was en route to the successful family life she desired. She went through some major personal growth challenges while advancing her career as a personal trainer and became a mom of three along the way. Over the years, she's learned to stop being afraid of what can go wrong and start focusing on getting excited about what could go right. And people are inspired by and drawn to her authenticity and zest for life. Okay, Kristen, in Christy's chapter, You Can Do Hard Effing Things, what quote chimes for you and why? My quote is the following. I must work hard every damn day, reminding myself that I am more than enough. I have been misinformed by others my whole life. I won't judge a child for misspelling a word they've never heard. Why should I blame myself for things I have yet to try? We do not know what we do not know. We learn, we grow, we make better choices. I am not failing. I am trying and building a better self. Yeah. Uh, That's not the one that I highlighted, but I considered it. (laughs) So this was an interesting time for me this time around because it chimed for me from the perspective of this might be the chapter that I like related most to, even Mm. though her life experiences were very different from mine. I wasn't relating to her because like I also left home at 15 and had kids at 19. That wasn't my life. Yeah. But her chapter is very much about imposter syndrome and like silencing Mm -hmm. the voice inside her that says you're not good enough or like people are going to find you out, which is very much my experience, my fear, kind of who I am. The other reason why it chimed with me is I'm sort of on this like kick lately by lately I mean like in the past couple of months of really like embracing the idea of change being a comfortable and necessary and celebratory thing personal change rather than something that I should fight against and by change I mean the idea of like fundamental I'm changing my beliefs or I'm changing my opinions or I'm evolving or I'm like recognizing and admitting that maybe I was wrong or misguided and I'm being sort of honest and open with that and coming out the other side, a changed person. And this is sort of a lot of the introspection I've been doing as like a parent and a wife these past few months Mm. um, and trying to sort of show my husband and my kids this new version of me, like the old version of me, it was always sort of like the non-apologetic stick to my guns till I'm like blue in the face, (laughs) even though I know that maybe I was like wrong. I just couldn't give anyone an inch and I just really don't want to be that person. So I've been sort of like reposting on Instagram or like screenshotting these like 
any kind of quote that talks about um, like the benefit of admitting when you're wrong or learning and listening to people and growing from that and sharing that growth with people and rather it being than it being something that you're like ashamed of because like god forbid you should change your opinion or god forbid you should like evolve in the way you think um sort of like celebrate it and let people know that you're going through Mm. those those transformations and i think you know i say it's been something i've been thinking the past few months but i really think it's been since like the you know george floyd and you know we all started talking about being anti-racist and and I came to all of these realizations that like holy crap I hold all of these prejudices that I didn't think I had I'm just gonna like own it and then learn yeah. better so <laughs> you know I when I was reading that quote it was ch- like all these little bells were going off in my head for all of these different reasons and I was like this this is the first chapter I think where I was like this is it this is the quote I don't have to Me. go back and sort of like narrow it down from there and waffle it was like yep Yep, 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 yep. Cool. That's why it chimed for me. Yeah. I like the part where she was talking about not judging a child for misspelling a word, like that that example, and why should I blame myself for things I've yet to try? Because, you know, it's easy to give up so quickly. And it's funny, because when I read that, I was thinking about weight loss, actually, (laughs) (laughs) and how, like, I did so much trial and error in my 20s, and... I was lucky because I, despite some family history that would suggest otherwise, I somehow managed to grow up with a decent enough sense of self-esteem that even though I have some body issues like everybody else, um, I don't think it's ever like cut me down inside as deeply as other people. Um, But at the same time, like, you know, it seems like life is this perpetual uh, struggle to find your ideal body, like kind of no matter what, you know? Um, and, and so I, it made me reflect on the fact that I'm glad that I did a lot of trial and error in my twenties. And now I've finally found something that actually worked for me. And if I had gotten super down on myself because of all the times that I wasn't sticking to something or something wasn't working, then I would never have found the thing that did work. And it's sort of like that, it's like failing up, you know, like every time that you fail, it's still a step up because you're eliminating something from the list of, you know, when you start a goal, you don't know how many possibilities are out there of what strategies you can employ to achieve that goal. And you just have to, sometimes you just have to try all the things. And that means that not all of them are going to work. And so you're going to experience a bunch of failure. So, you know, she's right. Like there's, you don't know what you don't know. I think she says that in there somewhere. And we've only done this once, right? Like we've only, this is the only life we've ever lived. And what, what you and I are experiencing today on this day is the first time we ever lived this day. And when you have kids for the first time, it's the first time you've ever had kids. And when you start a new job and like we, we hold ourselves to these ridiculous standards. Like it's not even about failing. It's about you've never done this thing before. And so you're not going to nail it. And it's okay. Like the point isn't to nail it. The point is to like go through the experience and grow and be a better person and be a better parent, be a better mother, be a better employee but it's all about growth. You don't sort of hit the end of your life and you're like, there, I finally, I finally nailed it all. That's not the point. I like and like the expression, 
stop shooting all over yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so the yeah. first time I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, what I teach my kids is like, just try, try your best yeah. to that moment. And so your best today isn't going to be your best tomorrow because like right. maybe you're tired or you're hungry or you're like ankle sore, but just <laughs> give it your all for what you're capable of giving right now. And that's all I ask for. Like that's a conversation I had with my daughter in hockey today. She kind of had like a glum dumb day at hockey and was kind of skating around lethargic and ended up uh-huh. being like player of the game because right. other people other people recognize that she was still rocking it and so I don't give myself I don't give myself that grace and it's partly you know my parents had like high expectations of me so I, I sort of I need to like treat myself the way that I sort of treat my kids and that You've never done this thing before, and there's so many variables to take into account, and it's okay. You, you know, your goal isn't perfection. Your goal is to just do your best and be I think a good that, person. I think that lately I what I'm t- battling against is my propensity to stack the what-ifs in, like, a big, giant Princess from the Pea <laughs> mattress tower, you know, and when you look at all of the what ifs, it's like, okay, that's a valid concern that something might happen. And that's a valid concern mm-hmm. that something might happen because you're responsible for the safety of your child or you're responsible mm-hmm. for them getting fed or like whatever. So I pile these, these what ifs on top of each other. But when I look at them in more detail, I sort of go, well, you're mixing things together in the timeline. Like these problems aren't going to happen all at the same time. They're not all going to happen at once. Yeah. So you're, you're getting overwhelmed because you're looking at this giant stack of what if, but they cannot occur together because yeah. this problem would only happen when you're this age or that problem would only happen if X, Y, and Z happened first. And there, you know, some of those X, Y's and Z's are unlikely or whatever. And so there's like, um, I try to separate out the what if based on time so that I can just focus on the one that's like the most likely right in front of me. And yeah. that's kind of helped me, you know, dispel a little bit of dread because I've been feeling, I was like, I'm always trying to hedge my best against guaranteeing myself stress. Yeah. I'm most like, I feel like I'm strong and I can handle a lot of things, but I get worried that things are just going to be too much. Yeah. And then I'm going to look like and sound like a crazy person. Yeah. You know, I mean, my husband is awesome and he's, a super supportive person but he's not like me and so he kind of when I start to get a little bit wound up in anxiety and maybe voice some what if he kind of thinks it's funny sometimes you know yeah, and it doesn't yeah. cause an argument or anything most of the time but it is it's helpful in a way in some cases because he is the dose of reality he is the like the one in the relationship who's like who cares, you know, <laughs> sometimes, which, you know, sometimes he's like, a lot of the time he's right. Why do I care? Why do I care so much? Or, you know, it, I guess it is really helpful to, to be in a relationship that's very like sun moon, you know, like yeah, it's not two real. suns or two moons, it's just one sun and one moon, you know? So, but yeah, I, I just try to not get stuck in a pattern where I'm on like this hamster wheel of trying to escape the wave crashing over me of mm-hmm. like I'm happy now but what if I'm not happy mm-hmm. later I'm happy now mm-hmm. but what if I'm not which is a weird thing to do to yourself because I'm 
good at recognizing today I'm grateful for what I have. I'm safe. I'm happy. I'm fed. I'm this. I'm that. But, you know, when you worry that things can be taken away, a big concern for me is that if I'm irresponsible, if I do something wrong to take it away, then it would compound the pain of yeah something bad happening because I <laughs> you do it to yourself. You do. <laughs> That's what really hurts. <laughs> so I don't want to do bad things to myself. I don't want to set myself up for failure. Yeah, I hear ya. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Becky, what quote timed for you and why? My quote is, the words she spoke to me are still in my head. You can do this. I see your potential and you will be great. My mind was blown. I have never heard that before. A parent or teacher may have said those words, but I had never heard it. And it just reminded me of, I may have said this earlier in the podcast, perhaps in a previous chapter, but I can't help it. It did remind me of a time when um, my friend was telling me about how she had lost weight. It just, I don't know what the, why I heard her that day, you know, and I knew this information from other sources, but it just clicked for me, which was, you know, wow, how did you lose all that weight? Diet and exercise. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know what it was about the conditions of that. I just, I just heard it for the first time. And so it was interesting to me that she's talking about a time when someone was giving her encouragement. And for some reason, that time, Mm -hmm. the encouragement clicked, you know, and it just, it just was interesting to me that the information that we need can be available to us or is available to us at our fingertips kind of at all, all times. But if you're not in the right situation, you're just not going to hear it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird that we have to be in the right time and the right place to hear messages that are pinging around us all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why? Why? I don't know. Like, (laughs) why can't we just hear the first time? Yeah. yeah, it just doesn't click though. Like that's not how our brains work. It's not presented in a way, or we're not ready for it, or it wasn't said in like a way that we believed or made sense, or we weren't ready to hear it. Maybe like, she wasn't ready to hear it yet. You can get compliments all the time, and it's sort of like, uh, you know, on the outside you're like, thank you, but on the inside you're like, yeah, 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 you know, like, or well, I don't believe stuff doesn't feel genuine too. Like you know, I. You can get a compliment from somebody and it can seem sort of like dismissive or like they're just sort of giving you lip service and you're like, I don't feel it. Like you're complimenting me, but I don't feel the truth behind it. Or when somebody says like, love you and you're like, yeah, (laughs) I hear you, but it's not making me feel that truth. And so I think it's one thing to say something. Mm. um, It's one thing to say the words. It's another thing to say them in a way that the person feels their truth yeah so I think maybe that's what Christy was feeling and I think also that's what I related to as well again as somebody who was raised in a situation where I was being like praised and complimented all the time and yet I didn't feel like it was genuine necessarily Mm -hmm. all the time either and like I definitely get that in my relationship with my spouse Mm. um we need we sometimes we just need it said in a way where it feels like the truth for the first time. Yeah. Like I'm trying to teach my son how to say sorry and not sound totally insincere. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he's very good at, he's he's very good at saying sorry, like genuine in a genuine way, but that's why I'm 
I, you know, trying to, I, I don't let him get away with, you know, sorry, when he's like not looking at you and, you know, like real squiggling around kind of thing. Totally. And my just, kids scream sorry at me and you're like, that's not a story. Like you're saying a word. I apologize. But no, you did, I mean, technically you said the word sorry, but you didn't actually apologize. Like that wasn't an apology, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or like, again, I'll do the other way. Like a child will come up and be like, look at my picture. And, and I'll think that it's amazing because I think they're great little artists. And I'll overdo the enthusiasm. And it's true enthusiasm. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you do that all by yourself. And it's true, like legit surprise. And they're like, well, you're like really overreacting. And I walk away. <laughs> so they didn't feel my truth because it felt overdone, you know? I take a page from the book of my mother, who is a retired kindergarten teacher slash counselor, where she picks specific things in the picture <laughs> you know Look, i really like done. how you were so creative with yeah. blah, you know like yeah. i i always try to give specific compliments so that they sound genuine because yeah. you know uh, it it is hard to believe when someone just goes wow that was so great you know totally <laughs> if it's like i really love the chorus in that yeah. song you wrote you know like, yeah <laughs> it's just it's easier to cling to it out. yeah or when it's unexpected I'm on a kick right now also where if I see something that I feel like I want to compliment in my head like for example mm. um one of the baristas at Starbucks when I was doing drive through Starbucks had a ring <laughs> that I liked and in my oh. brain, I was like, oh, I like her ring. And I'm like, I'm going to say it out loud. And so I turned to her and I was like, I like your ring. She's like, thanks. So when I think <laughs> those things, I say, like, it's my mission to say them. And it probably comes maybe across as more genuine because it's unexpected. I'm a stranger. Right. So you're not expecting a stranger to, like, walk up to you or, like, turn to you in an elevator and be like, I like your shoes. I Right. I would really like that feels like the truth, right? Because why would a stranger say that to you if they didn't mean right. it? And so maybe again, having this like trainer or this teacher for Christy say, you can do this, perhaps came across as more truthful to her because why would this person not give her the truth? Like, it doesn't matter to this teacher whether she shows right. up or not. Yeah. But for our like parents, what ulterior motives do they have? Coaches you know, it's kind of like they're programmed to like yeah. encourage us and, and it sort of becomes white noise after a little while. Like, yeah, yeah, mom, I know you think that I look pretty. You're like, right. yeah, yeah, mom, I know you're proud of me. But like, are you proud of me really? <laughs> when it's somebody whose job it is to perpetually be encouraging you. I like the idea of drive-by kindness. Yeah. I or drive-through kindness. Drive-through kindness. You should do it for like a week. You're going to, it's just, it's so wonderful. And then it makes you realize how often your brain is like complimenting people quietly. How often you see somebody walking on the street and you like their coat or they like have a nice voice or whatever it is. But we don't say that to strangers because it's weird. But it isn't. And you just well, do it. And you say it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it, it is kind of like a version of practicing like daily gratitude or whatever, like to notice your brain's attraction toward positivity. Yeah. Not the same as walking around being like, I'm grateful for the clean air I'm breathing. I'm grateful for the umbrella I have. 
you're noticing beauty or you're noticing yeah. something pleasurable or pleasant. And if it's coming from a person, then it gives you the opportunity to hopefully make their day, which yeah. then you can definitely have gratitude for that. It's like, I feel like I might have made that person's day and that makes me feel good. Yeah. And I don't even know them. And, and I, it, there's no, um, it, it is altruistic. Especially if it's woman to woman. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. We we don't do that as girls and women. You know, you, as a little girl in the 80s and 90s, the playground at recess was like so cutthroat. <laughs> and you're like, oh, God, am I going to get out of elementary school alive? <laughs> and you're sort of like conditioned to compete against each other. That's sort of like the narrative yeah. of like of elementary school and high school and I've come out the other side of that I'm like that's crap like women need to like lift each other up even if it's just saying like hey I like your coat yeah Yeah. one thing that I really love to do when I'm at a restaurant if I have a particularly awesome server like guy or girl you know or they um is not just leave a tip but um I like to write on a napkin and be like dear manager my server was amazing for a raise or whatever and I've done that like I don't know probably like 30 times in my life I do it more but I can't go out for dinner that much (laughs) because I'm trying to be a responsible person Uh and not cause myself financial problems (laughs) jump back to what I was saying before but um but yeah it is really fun to leave just because like wait staff get crapped on all the time and so even if they have, you know, day after day after day of satisfied customers and positive interactions, it's really hard for the managers to, to notice that unless they're like listening in all the time. Yeah. And so I like to have it written down. It's proof. Instead of the person having to go back to the manager and be like, oh, that was a good table. I really liked them or they really liked me or like whatever. Yeah. And it's also really fun when I, when I slip it to another worker where it's like, can you please make sure the manager gets this? I really love my server. And they're like, okay, thanks. Like they're happy for their friend who works with them, you know? And I really, I really love doing that. We sort of made it sound like Christy's just floated through life and somehow got these realizations without any hard times. And um, I really think it's fun to read her chapter. um, As always, I don't want to give too much away, but she has a really interesting experience that's, that's fun to read about um, that was really unexpected. And she didn't do drugs or anything, but it reminds me of like an ayahuasca experience or whatever. So I just want to leave that teaser for people to check out chapter 13 for yourselves because, you know, not everybody gets to go through what she mm-hmm. tried to have yeah. some of the realizations that she. Yeah. I, I want to leave that little Easter egg. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, her her she had an epiphany that was like a little bit of a oh okay cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that does it for your teaser taste of chapter thirteen from Fearless: Transforming Fear into Courage Within Relationships, Career, Society, and Self. You can order Fearless online through the publisher Golden Brick Road Publishing, which is www.goldenbrickroad.pub, or of course use Indigo, Amazon, or order directly from any one of us co-authors. Thanks for listening. Come back next time to hear if Becky and I choose the same quote from chapter 14, which is called Fear Will Not Steal My Thunder and was written by Michelle Vasquez. While we wait for our 13th and final Fearless Minipod episode to be released in the coming week, that's 13 for 14 chapters because of our double episode of chapter 8 and 11, 
follow our Instagram at at KTRJ Minipod and join in the conversation. Let us know which chapters you are looking forward to curling up with and reading to finish out the year. Yes, you can comment on any one of our posts and let us know which chapters you've read so far that speak to you and tell us why. We can't wait to hear from you. One, two, three. Bye. Bye. <laughs> you got it. The timing is everything, you know? It's so hard to teach a four-year-old about commuting timing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. if they like, if they think something's funny, they do it over and over and over again. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have told them that. And if you laugh, they never stop. Like, if they do something funny, but it's kind of inappropriate and annoying, but still funny, and you laugh, they will keep that going for, like, six months. And you're like, oh, yeah. Man. It was yeah. funny once. Now <laughs> it's like, stupid. Honey, read the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>